Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. You joined us for Telling Time for Beginners, the Antichrist Temple. This is the episode for Sunday, September 18th, 2022. Well, we're glad you're with us today at This Week in the Word at dredhill.podbean.com. In Telling Time for Beginners, we are learning how to see the world events around us and to understand better where we are in world history and in terms of Bible prophecy, what might be coming up very soon. And a huge sign is when we see plans and actions to literally rebuild the actual physical temple in Jerusalem. Now, the temple and, of course, before that, the tabernacle were extremely important in the life of the Jewish people and the nation Israel. Before there was ever a temple, there was what is called the tabernacle, where Moses met with God. That tabernacle, if you were to rebuild it exactly as it's laid out in the Bible, and you used all the materials in terms of today's money, are you ready for this? the materials used in the tabernacle would amount to about 13 million U.S. dollars. And factor in inflation too, right? <laughs> then Solomon's temple, the actual first temple, this is just my estimation, but it was massively built. And maybe that was a billion U.S. dollars. That's just my comparison there. The second temple that was built after the Babylonian exile of the Jewish people, and they returned to Jerusalem, and it was uh, rebuilt with the leadership of Ezra and Zechariah. That temple was the second one, and it is in fact the one that continued to exist. It existed something like 585 years or something like that, a long time. And it was still there in Jerusalem when Herod reigned in the days of the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he renovated that second temple and it expanded it to a massive degree. And maybe that would be $100 billion in today's money. That's the one, that's just my estimation, that's the one that the Romans, when they came to destroy Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD, that's the one they destroyed. And I don't know if you realize it or not, if you're not really into this kind of thing, this might not have ever occurred to you. But since 70 AD, when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, there has been no temple for the Jewish people literally no temple. Sure, they have what they call temples today and synagogues, but there's been no temple in Jerusalem with sacrifices. Now, there is a future third temple that the Bible says will exist during the reign of the Antichrist, and I'm going to call that the Antichrist temple, and we'll look at that today. And then in the prophet Ezekiel in chapters 40 to 48, it is apparent to me, this is the way I read it, that it, during the millennial reign of Christ over the earth from Jerusalem, 
there will be a millennial temple, and you can read about that in the uh, chapters in Ezekiel 40 to 48, and that will be commemorating what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. Now, Daniel is the first place we're going to go today in our study. Daniel is probably the most attacked prophet within the Bible. His writings are rejected largely by unbelievers who call themselves seminary professors <laughs> because it is, a, it is exactly correct. And see, some of those, I'm not saying all seminary professors don't believe the Lord and his word, but many of them are very liberal. And their thinking is there's no such thing as a supernatural. God probably doesn't even exist, blah, blah, blah. And so therefore, for a prophet to write something like Daniel wrote, well, it must have been written after the events occurred. That's what they say, because it's exactly correct. It is entirely precise regarding history after the time that Daniel lived into the future, far beyond our time. So their only answer, since they reject the idea that God told Daniel what was going to happen, which, which is what God did, their only other thing they can say is, well, it had to be written after the events, not prior to the events. I want to recommend a book to you. It's, it's a fascinating book. You should still be able to get it. It's probably about 40 years old. It's called Daniel in the Critic's Den. Daniel in the Critic's Den. It's by one of our favorite teachers, Josh McDowell. Yes, that Josh McDowell. If you can find or buy a copy of Daniel in the Critic's Den, Josh McDowell completely dismantles and demolishes these objections to the book of Daniel. Now, let's go to that book, and we're going to go to Daniel 9, and we're only going to read verses 20 to 27, and then we will move to another passage. This is the prophet Daniel. This is what he was shown by God, and he wrote for us to know about and for the Jewish people to know about. In Daniel 9, verses 20 to 27, we read this, and whilst I was speaking and praying and, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, so he's praying right here, that's where the temple would have been, right? So he's praying about this. Of course, it's been destroyed when they went into Babylonian exile. So he's, this is what's on his mind while he's praying. Verse 21, Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. So this is the angel Gabriel. Verse 22, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee. 
for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. Now, what we're about to hear from Gabriel that Daniel recorded and we're reading is from God himself. And this is the the, uh, big picture for the Jewish people in their future. Verse 24, 70 weeks. Now, by the way, these are heptads. These are weeks of years. In other words, every day within that week is actually a year, okay? Now, don't let the math mess you up. I don't want you to miss this. 70 weeks, now that would be what, 490 years, right? 70 weeks. Now, these are prophetic weeks of special significance, particularly to the Jewish people. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression and to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, which this was made by King Cyrus, historically we know this. So let me reread that. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, that is killed, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now, who destroyed the city and the sanctuary in 70 AD? That would be the Romans. But notice this unusual phrase, the people of the prince that shall come. There is a coming prince that will arise from within the borders of the same people that destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. So this will be a leader who will eventually lead the entire world that arises from what we would call the old Roman Empire. I believe there will actually be a resurrection of the old Roman Empire. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Now, in verse 27, he's going to talk about this prince that is coming. Now, he hasn't come yet in world history, but come, he will. Verse 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, Now, that one week would be what? That would be seven years, right? Every day stands for a year. 
and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now he's talking here about the Jewish people. So there's coming a prince out of the borders of the old Roman Empire who will sign a covenant with the nation Israel, particularly with Jerusalem, a seven-year covenant. And in the midst of the week, so that would be three and a half days in, right? That's three and a half years in. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Now, hang on right there. For there to be a, the sacrifices and the oblations made to God every day, they ha- can only be made from what it, we call the temple. Are you understanding? There is going to again be a temple in Jerusalem. There has to be one for him to cause the sacrifices and the oblations to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So I'm not going to explain here what's going to happen. We're going to let the Bible interpret the Bible, okay? Just know that there is a coming prince who will sign a covenant with the nation Israel, and there will be temple sacrifices going on at the time he does that. That's what you have to hang on to right there. Now, let's go into the New Testament and plug all of this in. In Matthew 24, I believe it's verse 15, Jesus Christ says this, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. And then he goes on to say that when that happens, immediately flee Jerusalem. And you can read about that in Matthew 24. So Jesus Christ himself, in the last week of his earthly ministry, this was so important that he brings up what Daniel said in Daniel 9, 27. Now, let's go to the Apostle Paul. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, some of the, uh, this is kind of, hazy or foggy right now, right? Well, Paul is about to show us more information that explains in greater detail what we have just read. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 17. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, And by our gathering together unto him, that's the rapture, by the way. That's a very common phrase, the gathering, gathering together unto him. That ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, 
as from us, in other words, a, a fake letter, is that the day of Christ is at hand. In other words, the Thessalonian believers, a relatively new church, they had been taught Bible prophecy, but they were getting information from other sources that they had missed the rapture and they were in the tribulation period. And they were worried about this. And Paul says, don't worry about that because the, A, the rapture hasn't happened yet, and B, you're not going to be in the tribulation. But he's going to give us details about the tribulation period. So let's read verse 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. This is an apostasia. I am aware that some say this is referring to the rapture, which it could, but I think the historical view of this, of Bible-believing Christians, is that it talks about how the professing church will, will become apostate. It will, it will defect from the true Christian faith, even denying the very Lord Jesus Christ much less denying the rapture and, and his return in the millennial kingdom and all of that. So let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now we're talking about the Antichrist, okay? Verse four, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth, watch this, in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, by the way, if you go back to the prophet Daniel and you read all of chapter 9, all of chapter 10, all of chapter 11, and all of chapter 12, you will see that this very exact thing is predicted of this last human world leader. You know, not in every verse, but you will see passages if you read it all in context, and you will see that this is clearly predicted by the prophet Daniel, and Paul backs it up, and the Lord Jesus Christ said that's gonna happen. There will be an abomination that makes desolate the temple of God. And it's part of it, the biggest part of that, is when this prince that shall come, we call him the Antichrist, he's called the beast, as we'll see in Revelation, that this person is going to claim to be God and take a seat in the temple of God. So there will be a temple existing during the reign of the Antichrist. Do you see that? I mean, if you don't understand anything else I've said right now, understand that. This is going to happen in a temple of God, which can only be in Jerusalem. And he's going to say, I'm God, worship me. Verse five, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, 
I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth. So there's something, and it's really someone, it's the Holy Spirit of God, God himself. And now ye know what withholdeth, that is, restrains, that he might be revealed in his time. Now, I believe if Satan could do it today, the Antichrist would come to power today. But he can't because the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit keeps him from being revealed until God says it's time. Okay? That's a simple concept, and it's just that simple. Verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And that's true for sure. Only he who now letteth, and that means prevent, like restrains, think of it like a police line holding back a crowd, okay? That's a, that's a good picture. Um, so, verse 7, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. I believe that when the church is raptured out of this world, that restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit is, is no longer exercised. I did not say that the Holy Spirit leaves the world. There will be many people born again during the tribulation time, and that can only happen with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We know that from the Bible. But that restraining ministry ceases when the church is taken out. Do you have any idea what restraining power the Lord exercises through Christians like you and I in our neighborhoods, in our schools, where we work, sports teams, you name it. Any area of life, there are Christians in that area or in that field. And whether we are aware of it or not, God works through us, if we're living for the Lord, to hold back evil, particularly the Antichrist. And I don't know if you've ever thought of how you live having that effect, but hold your head up. The Lord uses us whether we realize it or not. How many police officers are Christians? Probably more than you think. How many Christians serve in the armed forces of the United States and other militaries of freedom-loving countries around the world? And how many people are in medicine and, and so on, all down the line, that love the Lord Jesus Christ and their very presence there is used by the Holy Spirit to keep things on track until the Antichrist is to be revealed. I mean, lift your head up. God is using you whether you realize it or not. So let's go to verse 8. So at the right point, that restraining ministry ceases when the church is snatched or, or taken out of the world. Verse 8. And then shall that wicked be revealed. This is the Antichrist, the beast. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy 
with the brightness of his coming. I got to tell you, people, the Antichrist doesn't stand a chance, but he doesn't know that. Or he thinks he can out, outdo the Lord Jesus Christ. What a terrible miscalculation. But anyway, verse 9, we're back to his characteristics in his career. Verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now, in the Greek, it is believe the lie. And I think specifically in this context, the lie is that the, this Antichrist is God, which he's not. But the world that rejects Jesus will be taken in on this like a bunch of saps, okay? Verse 12, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The reason people reject Jesus is they love sin. A lot of people have not heard of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when they do, they will turn to him. But many, many, many who have heard of him and rejected him do so because they have, as it says here, pleasure in unrighteousness. Verse 13, but we, so notice that there's a they passage there in verse 12, right? And in a few verses prior to that, talking about them and they, but now in chapter, um, verse 13 rather, it says, but we, but we, who's that? Christians, people who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, have been born again, who belong to him. We are real Christians. We might not be perfect on this earth, but we are real. That's why we're so irritating to people who reject Jesus, because they know we're the real deal. Not perfect, but they know we're serious. Amen. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, Beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you, and themselves, of course, you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief for the truth. So we are set apart to God because we've been born again. We believe the truth about Jesus, and we're going to be rescued. So I don't agree with that, Pastor Ed. I don't care what you... That's what... Listen, God, God is talking about the lost world here in the first part of this passage. And then in verse 13, Paul is talking about we who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We are heaven bound, people. We're glory bound. I'm happy about that. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which he had been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So remember, the first part of this chapter here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we see in verse 2, let's see here, um, verse 2 says that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, you know, that they miss the rapture. And here the last verse says, comfort your hearts, establish you in every good word and work. In other words, don't be troubled. We're waiting on the Lord to take us out of here. And I don't know when that's going to be. I get the feeling it may be sooner than people think. But in the meantime, we can be used by the Lord and be performing His work in this world and, uh, and share His word. And we can be part, as I said earlier, you know, in essence, that means we're part of the restraining ministry of the Holy Spirit. He uses us. He works through us until we're taken home. And then look out world, because the Antichrist will be revealed. Now, let's really plug this in. In the last book of the Bible, God brings all of this full circle. Revelation 13, in verses 1 to 18, here we have the apostle John. So we've heard from the prophet Daniel, the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostle Paul, and now the apostle John. Revelation 13, starting in verse 1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. And by the way, if you go back and read the book of Daniel, you're going to see these things I've just read mentioned in the book of Daniel. Did you know that? And we see here this beast is empowered by the dragon. Who's the dragon? That's Lucifer. That's Satan, the serpent from the garden. Verse 3, And I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast? 
who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Now, let's stop right here. We know that the tribulation is a 70th week of Daniel. By the way, those 69 weeks of years have all been fulfilled in history already by our time. But there's a 70th week that's never been fulfilled. That's the tribulation period, that seven-year period of time. And in the first three and a half years, this Antichrist is not literally indwelt by Satan, but he's still, you know, setting up that government, stepping into power and controlling the world. But at that halfway point, that 40 and two months, three and a half years, he is going to be literally indwelt. And I, I would take what we've read to be a fake resurrection where he is apparently killed and yet Satan raises him to life, mimicking, mocking, if you will, imitating the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the world goes crazy over this one, this leader. And so we see now when he's resurrected from apparently being dead, that's what this appears to be saying. That's going to be part of the gobsmack of the world. Like, wow. I mean, a lot of world leaders have tried a lot of things, but nobody's ever done that. But well, he's going to do that. I'm talking about political leaders. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ was actually truly resurrected from the dead. And he's God. Well, this fake here, this beast, this one that we usually call the Antichrist, however you want to describe it, the world is going to follow him like, like they haven't to that point. I mean, they will have been following him, but now it's pedal to the metal because they're totally impressed with this Antichrist. Verse six, and he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints. Some people have said, well, see, there's the church right there in the tribulation. In the context of Revelation and the, the prophet Daniel, the saints are the Jewish people particularly, but there will also be many others that are not Jewish people who will be saved during the tribulation that are not part of the church, okay? And was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience 
and the faith of the saints. Verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. So if the seas represent the Gentiles, then the earth very well may represent the land of Israel. I believe it does. And so this false prophet that we call him, this second beast, may well be Jewish, okay? Well, I'm not saying he has to be, but it may be. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. So in other words, he looks all nice and religious, like he's some kind of holy man, but when you listen to him, it's Satan speaking through him, okay? And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. So he will be able to do these amazing but false miracles, uh, like, like Elijah called fire down from God in his day, you know, the, the, the true miracle, the true prophet. This guy is going to fake all that. I don't know how he's going to do it, It'll be a satanic miracle, I guess. Verse 14. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth. By the way, have you seen this phrase, dwell on the earth, over and over? We've read that several times here. In Greek, it's earth dwellers. These are people who are just rooted and grounded and stuck and glued to this world system. They refuse Jesus. They're in love with this world system. And we see today people who are literally, literally in love with the earth. That's amazing to me. Think about that. I had not even thought about that until right now. But anyway, these are the earth dwellers as opposed to those who are heavenly minded, right? Who love the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so let me go back to the start of verse 14. And deceiveth in it dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. 
Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred threescore and six. All right, let's plug all this in right now. Can you see that in the future, when you see or, or others see a temple being rebuilt in Jerusalem, that you or they will be able to tell time regarding Bible prophecy? Well, what happens when we see that? It's like the temple's built and immediately all of this happens. Well, we don't know that. We're not told that exactly. And we may see it built prior to the rapture of the church, or we may not. We don't know the answer to that. Will this temple, when it's built, like, um, or even go back to the rapture of the church, when the church is raptured, let's say the temple is built already before the church is raptured even, or in the let's say even in the process of being built, will the tribulation be immediate or will be, there be an interim of time? We don't know for sure. We just don't know those things, and I don't think we're supposed to know those things. Now, did you know that in Jerusalem there's something called the temple institute. Yeah, that temple. It used to be called the Temple Mount Institute, and I think that may have been creating too many issues there politically. So maybe that's why it was changed. I don't know. But the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, I want you to think of it this way, is Orthodox Jewish priests who can prove their lineage as priests who have trained themselves and others that need to be trained so that a temple can be rebuilt, and when it's rebuilt, they will carry out the duties of temple worship. Those folks are ready. So are you kidding me? Go look up Temple Institute and read the articles. This is not a conspiracy theory. It's a real place you can even tour it. And they are ready for this to be done like yesterday. There's a great fervor growing in Jerusalem and in Israel right now among people who never thought a whole lot about it. To just say, you know, why shouldn't we have a temple, especially in the rest of the world, saying they can't. And this is a trend. This is trending in Jerusalem. And there will again be a temple in Jerusalem. And it is to that temple that the Antichrist will go and proclaim himself to be God and demand the worship of the world. So are you better able to tell time prophetically? If the Jewish people are becoming increasingly committed to a temple, and especially Orthodox, they are ready. So you know you need to be ready. You need to be sure that when these things begin to happen, that you're on the side of Jesus Christ 
and you're ready. And even if you were to pass away well before any of that, I mean, that even underscores the urgency of being ready. We don't know when we're going to pass away. I live and I'm recording in Memphis, Tennessee, in September 2022. And if you've kept up with the national news, you know that there have been it's like it's like demonic, man. I mean, people in Memphis are saying, "What a week!" And within a week, in random events, numerous people were murdered, and just terrible events here. And not one of those people thought that the day that they left their home, that they they would never return. That's what I was thinking about. That we have to be ready. We don't know when our death is, and we don't know when these things will occur prophetically. Don't put it off. I'm going to give you a phone number you can call to be counseled by someone about becoming a Christian. I'm going to say it twice, 877-247-2426, 877-247-2426, and you can speak with someone about having Jesus Christ become your Lord and Savior. And you can get off of Satan's team and onto Jesus's team. And whenever you die, you will, you will go to heaven to be with Jesus. If you're living when the rapture happens, you will go to heaven to be with Jesus. And you will not go into and live through the tribulation. Now in Romans 3.23, we're reminded of these, th- this great thing. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But you know what? Here is great news. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I hope that if you're not a Christian today, that you will become one. And I'm hoping also that if you are already a Christian, you will resolve afresh to live for Him every day and be used to lead others to Him. I hope you will like this episode, follow the podcast, and you will share it with others today that they might hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. If the Lord doesn't come first, I'll be back next week with another episode of This Week in the Word. Thank you. Bye-bye.